The Story in Your Head, Episode 23, Holacracy with Brian Robertson. Welcome to The Story in Your Head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Michelle, Joanne, and I speak with guest Brian Robertson, the foremost expert on holacracy, a framework for running a self-governing organization. He describes how moving to a holocratic business model means unlearning stories that have been ingrained in us our entire lives. Welcome to The Story in Your Head. I'm Michelle Masago. And I'm Ron Macklin. And I'm Joanne Rush. And today we have with us our guest, Brian Robertson. So Brian Robertson is the world's foremost expert on holacracy a revolutionary framework for running self-managing organizations. After years as CEO of an award-winning software company, he co-founded Colocracy One to share this innovative framework with other organizations who are ready to self-manage. Brian also wrote the book Holacracy, the New Management System for a Rapidly Changing World. And that's sort of where I found you, I think. And over a thousand companies use Holacracy today in healthcare, insurance, banking, retail, technology, nonprofit, and government sectors, and in places as diverse as Dubai, Shanghai, Amsterdam, London, Berlin, New York, Bangalore, Las Vegas, and rural Africa. He's thrilled to see the method take root and grow with such force. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. So this is a story in your head. So when you think of holacracy, what story do you create for people to begin to understand what you mean when you use this word? Yeah, it's it's actually one of the, the most challenging aspects of what I do is trying to help story this. And I love that frame story because that, that's that's really what it is. It's it's so new in practice that there's a challenge of how do you convey the the whole sense of it, the paradigm and I find the best way to do that is is with metaphors, with stories, something that connects it to what they're used to, right? And I have many to to kind of choose from in my toolbox, but I often describe holacracy as a framework, right? It's a framework for running a company without a top-down management hierarchy, which is what we're used to, but it's still a framework. It's just a different framework. It's a different way of getting to clear roles, clear responsibility, accountability, alignment, all the things we need in a company, right? You, you need the things that management hierarchy provides, Holacracy just gives you an alternate way of getting there. And then from there, we can go into metaphor, right? Like one of my favorite metaphors, stories, is the human body. Look how the human body is organized. There's trillions of cells working together collaboratively, but there's no CEO cell telling the others what to do. There's no top-down command hierarchy of cells bossing other cells around, right? Every cell has autonomy. Every cell has its own boundary within which it's self-organizing, it's self-managing. And yet it's also got responsibility. It's, it's not a totally autonomous entity. It's connected to a broader system. Right? But that broader system, the, the organ, the heart, the heart's job is not to boss around the blood cells and the muscle cells and nerve cells of the heart. It's to build on top of their autonomy, a larger autonomous function. And this is nature's approach to scaling organization in the face of complexity. And that's much more the paradigm that holacracy uses. So Again, lots of ways to describe it, but they, they all take a little bit of metaphor or story because it is just so different than what we're used to in a company. That's great. And, and I accept that is different. So as people are 
trying out this and moving toward this new way. What are the stories that they already have that you think are the hardest for them to surrender and replace with something new? What gets in the way the most? So I, I love the frame again. It, I often say that the hard part of holacracy is not learning the new frame. It's unlearning the old frame. It's the old stories that make this difficult, not the challenge of new stories. And by story, I mean this very broadly, the old meaning making, the way people make sense of organizational life, right? Like the, the idea of a boss is something so entrenched that I can tell people there are no bosses in a company that's holacracy powered, which there are, and it's a different framework, but it's so built in that there must be a boss. Somebody's in charge. Somebody can command me. Somebody can make the decisions, can give me approval for various things I might want to do. And that story is so deeply ingrained that it's really hard to shift out of. So, and not just ingrained from companies, right? We grow up in families with an authority figure, right? We're trained from a very young age to defer our authority, our power to some external authority figure. And then we go up, go out into a school that also has authority figures and a society that this is entrenched in our human sense of, of the world, right? Is that this, this sense of an external authority figure who is the boss in charge in some way. And that's a deep rooted story that we end up having to replace with companies running with holacracy. You are the CEO of your roles, if you will. It's a role-based system. We define clear roles and you're in charge of all of them. But getting somebody to take on that power Right to say, oh, this is my decision, my role. I'm not going to defer my power to a boss or even to the group. That's another one. Another common story is I get legitimacy, I get authority to do something when everyone agrees, right, or when no one has a, a concern with it. So we call those big, painful meetings, and they last forever as we try to get buy-in of every stakeholder, and nothing moves quickly, right. And there's a story there that I should do that. That you know, if I don't do that, I'm I'm somehow a bad team player or whatever. And that's another one that's really deep that we have to uproot in this. So there's just two examples, but this is a lot of the work we do is, is, is rewiring the stories in people's heads. Thanks, Brian. One of the things that we've dealt with and we notice and the people we work with and how we help them, fear seems to be one of those things that's very entrenched in us, but we never talk about it. Yeah. But courage we talk about, but not like it's easy to do and it's easy to be there. So where, where does fear, like the story in people's head about fear, like how do you work with that or how do you lead people through that space or how do they lead themselves yeah. through that space? It's a, it's a big one and often subtle, even when people aren't aware of experiencing fear, you know, we hear fear and sometimes we think it's a, an acute sense of like being terrified, but often fear is just a subtle, low-level thing that underlies so much of, of what we do, right? Fear of looking bad, fear of disappointing someone. You know, it, it can be very subtle, low-level fear. And I find one of the, the main things that's needed to, it, it's not just removing fear, it's giving some other anchor. And for me, that anchor is purpose, right? If you don't have clear, compelling purpose to kind of overcome fear, to, to encourage people to to link to something, to ground in something that'll pull them naturally out of fear, then all the efforts to just subside the fear, I think are often lacking, right? I, I had one, one story I, I found fascinating. It was an organization in Dubai that we worked with. And I got to know the leader of this organization. It was a, a government entity actually, but the guy that was the equivalent of a CEO right? at the top of the agency, director general. And he had a philosophy about firing people. He just didn't do it ever, 
right? He never fired anyone. It was fascinating. I've never seen an organization that can actually function that way. But it was, he was a, it was a principle. He was so strong on it. And the fascinating thing is, you know what the biggest fear was talking to everyone else in that organization <laughs> was that they were going to get fired, <laughs> which I found ironic because no one got fired from this organization, but it was still the fear. So there's often a, a fear there regardless of the reality and, and back to purpose. So I think the, the antidote to that, and this is what he was really doing, and I, I think he did this really well there, was bring in a compelling purpose. Something that, that the fear might still be there, but people won't let it lead. They won't give it attention and power, right? So this is part of my work with Holacracy as well. It's a purpose-driven system. So it encourages the organization to get clear on its higher purpose and then break that down. So every team has a purpose and every role has a purpose. And you'll fill many roles in your company, like in life, right? I fill 20 roles in my company on multiple teams. And every one of those roles has a clear, compelling purpose, and a clear connection to how that goes to the, the broader organization's purpose. And, you know, I, I still feel fear sometimes like everyone, but having a clear purpose helps me put it in context. And, and this is true even in my personal life. I also have a, a clear, compelling purpose for myself, right? And, and having a clear purpose invites me when I'm, I'm feeling that fear or even when I'm not noticing it, but it's somewhere in my system. It gives me something that's more compelling, that grounds me in that. Just a follow-up question, Brian, you talked about the word anchor, like can anchoring somebody to something like, how do yeah. you, how do you share that story about anchoring or how do you create that space where people can, so can hold, I get, I can anchor to that. What does that mean to you? Yeah. I, I almost like when you get something that, that gets into the meaning making frame uh, of somebody into their, their, their self system, their identity, even that's kind of what I mean. Anchoring in the identity level, like when I hold a purpose or, or even when I'm serving my company's purpose, but it's meaningful to me, I, I can almost anchor that in as like grounding for my own identity. Like I'm the kind of person who serves this purpose, who helps this, who supports this. I care about this, right? And there's something around when you, when you bake it into that like deeper level of self, right? Where people can actually start connecting their, their sense of self, their sense of identity to it, right? That, that there's, a, there's an anchoring to that, a grounding to that. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So what I, when I read your book and, and listening to you, the thing that pops up to me is it's pretty scary, right? So I, most of my career was in a pharmaceutical company, which is the uh, epitome of hierarchy, Yeah. right? Unless you, and what I did is I found myself drifting to the fringes of the organization because the freedom it gave me to be in the small parts of the organization that they sometimes claimed were not material, which is a great place to be, by the way. But what, what gets me with this is I notice, God, I have to believe in myself that I can do this role. And I've got to trust others to do their role because I can't go messing with them right, and messing them up. Am I reading that right? Or maybe you could talk a little bit about what's required in people to be able to work in this type of environment. Yeah. So there, there's an interesting cause and effect relationship or, or people get the causality, I think, backwards in this. They often think people need to be really autonomous, self-managing already. They, they need to, to be ready to step into their power. They need to be ready to like really trust and, and leave others free for their power. They need to be all those things before they're ready to do holacracy. And I don't know many people that fit that bill. <laughs> if that were true, holacracy wouldn't be spreading very quickly. I actually think it's, it's often the opposite. No one's ready for that. 
it's kind of like asking, you know, imagine if as a parent, you said, I'm not going to send my, my child out into the world until they're really ready to be an autonomous self-authoring adult, right? They would still live at home when they were 40 if you did that, right? Like in, instead, what you do is at some point realize they're not ready, but the fastest way to get them ready to lead life as an autonomous self-managing adult is to throw them into a world that expects it and let them build the skills in that context. And I think the same is true with Holacracy. If we want to get people that are ready to be this level of empowered, right? This level of self-leading, the best path you can have is not try to get them ready before putting them in the world that expects it. It's to thrust them in an environment that calls them into that highest potential and supports them in building the skills needed to do it, right? And so I often tell people when they ask, how do we get ready for Holacracy? You practice Holacracy. That's how you get ready for Holacracy, right? Just how do you get ready for life? Well, you you live, you live life, <laughs> And yeah, it beats you up sometimes. And yeah, you know, you struggle with it sometimes. And all that is true. So I, I think the best path there is, is just live it, but with support, right? With the right coaching or the right peer-to-peer, you know, supportive team environment, whatever it is you you've got available, get support for sure. But go, go live, go do it. Nobody figures this out without practice. You know, holacracy is a practice, first and foremost. It's not a model, it's not a theory. People sometimes try to understand it intellectually, and that's like trying to understand music without ever actually playing it or listening to it for that matter. But reading about the theory <laughs> doesn't do it. So this, you get out and you play the game and you learn by doing. Well, one follow-up to that. So you talk about support. What do you find is, right, if you've never done it before, so I don't need, like if I were to say, okay, wave the magic wand, we are now a holacracy organization. I'm not trying not to support somebody. Is there some practices you have in place? How do you do that? Yeah. So the, the first thing to do, if you want to do this, is get somebody that's played the game before, right? To get out on the field with you, just like you would if you were learning a new sport. Ideally, you do it with a coach. So find somebody that knows Holacracy. There's a lot of Holacracy coaches. We have a network of certified coaches all over the world. You can find on our website. So fi- find a coach if you can. If you can't, find someone internally who can go to a training and learn and build skills and they can become an internal coach and, and they'll learn how to support people through that process. And then your, your next line after that is, is just peer-to-peer support as we're all in the learning journey together. People are going to be getting insights and figuring things out differently, right? Again, imagine going and learning to play a team sport. And if you have a coach, great. But even beyond that, talk to each other. You know, what, what are you learning about what strategies work and what doesn't work? You know, so we often facilitate kind of internal peer-to-peer learning. And, and no one knows how to support each other in this when they're new to it. But that's the beautiful thing about learning. You, you don't need to. You just try it some and you, you start talking to each other. And before you know it, you've got some wisdom. And if different people have different bits of wisdom, you learn from each other and you share, right? And just like anything, right? That's the, the learning process. This is, I think, how transformation happens. It's, it doesn't happen from somebody externally imposing a whole transformation on an organization that rarely works. You know, it happens from the system changing itself from within, maybe with some external help, sure. But the bulk of the change effort is is people rewiring their frames internally in the organization. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com.
So one of the things we've noticed is that sometimes the less career experience people have make it easier for them to adapt to different models or different learning or different things. I, I always hold they have fewer stories to forget. Yep. And, and yet certain people, very experienced, can easily adapt as well. Have you noticed any characteristics that you can kind of, that kind of call out to let you know that this person's probably going to have an easier time or that maybe this person's going to have a harder time of making this transition? Yeah, so I've noticed the exact same thing that you have. When people are young and don't have much experience in, in business yet, it's much easier to learn holacracy, much easier, because there's no unlearning, right? There's no, no stories to forget, like how you framed it. At the same time, those people don't have wisdom. They don't have experience. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to run your company entirely with novices and everything. That's a terrible idea, you know? So this is one of the challenges. It's the people that have the domain expertise are often the ones that have the most unlearning to do, right? So the first is just, well, what companies are you know, kind of ready to adopt this or, or what have you? And I think that's a different question than what individuals need. Most individuals are going to learn by doing or unlearn by doing. But for the company itself, what we often find is you need the leader bringing this in. It's often the person at the top, founder, CEO, but it could be a department in a bigger company, a department head or whatever. But whoever is bringing this in, that person needs to be really ready and capable of changing their frame. They need to be almost an expert architect on their own self stories, right? They need to be able to be conscious of what frame they're bringing into things, what stories, what, what meaning making they're bringing to things and able to introspect on that and change it. So that person's often somebody that's done a lot of self-development work of one form or another, right? They're often people that have had their own personal growth journey that goes quite deep. They're very conscious individuals. They're not stuck in their stories. Now, everyone else in the organization might be to some degree stuck in their stories. And to some extent, that can be okay, as long as you've got that clear message that we're doing this, and then we'll learn over time, we'll get the support and all that. People will, in time, figure out how to, how to shift to a new story. I think that's, that's a fundamentally human thing to be able to do that, even when you are pretty, pretty stuck in a, a static place. If enough people around you and the system is supporting it, people will change. But that person bringing it in, they're the ones that can throw it out. Right. And if they stick to their old frame, it will sabotage the entire effort until they just get tired of it and throw it out. So that person needs to be like almost a psychic surgeon on themselves. Right. They need to be able to go in and rewire their own meaning making frame. And that's a pretty unique person and skill. And, and at the same time, that's what, one of the things that makes it really fun for me. The people I get to work with are often really remarkable, conscious, self aware, just brilliant individuals who are capable of that or they wouldn't be bringing this in in the first place. On a, on a follow-up to that, it would seem to me that if my current role is focused on managing people or telling people what to do or getting, you know, the, the euphemism of getting them to do things, mm -hmm. this could show up like one big threat. Yeah. Yeah, it does sometimes. What's the story to the people holding those roles? So they're, you know, they some of them might be listening and being a little nervous right now as they're this far into the podcast. Yep. So I get asked often by just press interviews and such, how did I deal in myself of giving up power like that, right? I used to be a CEO in a management hierarchy. How did I deal with this, you know, giving up of power? And what I do is tell them their question's wrong. It's, it's, they've got it completely wrong. I haven't given up power. I don't feel like I have any less control or influence in my company. I have more, not less. Holacracy is not about stripping power away from the former managers and redistributing it. 
It's about raising power of everyone in the system so that I'm not the only one holding that level of power and responsibility now. Now I'm working more like with co-founders where everyone I'm working with has a lot of power and capacity to help me manage the organization. There is still management. There's just not managers, right? So said another way, I can still influence people. If I want to change somebody's role, we have a process for that. It's called a governance process. I show up at our governance meeting and I propose a change to their role. If I want to expect something new from them, I propose adding an expectation onto their role. If I want to limit their power, I can propose policies or limits that limit other people's power. I can do all these things. I can't autocratically apply them like I could before, but frankly, as a CEO, I didn't want to autocratically apply things without checking with people and making sure it wasn't going to get in the way of their work, right? So I do a lot of meetings, I do a lot of dialogue, and then I put in place new policies or change roles or whatever. Now I do the same thing. I just go to the governance meeting and I propose the change. And then there's a process that makes sure if anyone sees a reason why this is going to disrupt our work, they can surface it and we can figure out how to integrate it. The difference is everyone else in the team can go to that governance meeting too, right? It's not that I can't, that I've given up power in that way, right? That, that's a managerial function, this, this governance process. The difference is everyone on the team is invited and every team is doing it. Anyone working on a team is invited into the governance process of that team. And the process itself has a kind of a facilitated decision-making process that's, that's really efficient. As I say, it gives everyone a voice without the tyranny of consensus, which is when everyone has to agree so nothing can get done. So it's a unique process. People can raise concerns, right? If they see something that's going to get in the way with a proposal, but it's not about trying to get everyone to agree that it's the best idea. The bias is to change. People can raise concerns. We're going to solve those concerns, but it's a fast-paced process. And, and I can give you an example, a story of how it, it, it plays out that I, I think illustrates this really remarkably. And uh, the beauty from, a, from an ex-CEO's perspective is I still get to use my expertise even more so now because I have a structured process to help me, but I don't, it's not all on me. Now I have a whole team of people helping me figure out the right process. So for example... Uh, a while back in my, my company now, I fill a role, I'm filling it right now, called Holacracy Spokesperson. And I, I give a lot of interviews and talks, and I also do a lot of public speaking at, at conferences and such. And I work with another role. Uh, we call it our casting agent role. And our casting agent has to figure out which talks to book me for. Right? You, you dealt with the person filling this role now, and you booked me for this talk. And that's a little tricky when it comes to conferences because there's travel involved. Uh, there's often a speaking fee, right? So there's a negotiation that has to happen, right? What, what's my talk, length, uh, you know, focus, fees, all that. So our casting agent role many years ago was getting all these requests to have me come speak at conferences. And the person at the time filling the role, she, was, she would have to sort through all these and she would often build a relationship with the conference organizer and negotiate with them. And she'd come up with a plan that she thought made sense, and she'd present it to me at the end of her negotiation. And I'd look at it, and I'd shoot it down. I'd say, no, I'm not going to go to that. Wrong market, or not big enough, or whatever. And she felt so disempowered, right? Like She did all this work. She built a relationship. She negotiated something, and I'd just shoot it down at the end of the process. But I have the autonomy in my role to make that decision. She has the autonomy in hers to do the negotiation. But it's frustrating. She's disempowered. So she goes to our governance process. We both work in our marketing team. So she goes to the marketing team's governance process and she proposes a new expectation on my spokesperson role. She says, as casting agent, I want to expect that the spokesperson is accountable for documenting the criteria they're going to use to decide whether to accept or reject a speaking engagement. She said, because if I could see that criteria, I could assess myself at the beginning of my process if this met the criteria or not and not waste all that time. 
And in our fast focused governance meeting process, it took two minutes for that expectation to get added onto my role. So that after the meeting, she was then able to turn to me and say, okay, great. When do you think you're going to have a draft of that for me? Right? Give me an estimate. Now, the fun footnote to this story, she was our newest hire right out of college. And I'm the founder of the company and a seasoned CEO and business leader. In what company do you know where the newest hire right out of college in two minutes can add an expectation onto the founder and then turn to him and say, when will you have that done for me? Bye. Think of all of the stories that have to rewire in the culture for that. This is the work that Holacracy does. She's not thinking of me as a boss. She's thinking of herself in a casting agent role, me in a spokesperson role. It's not about her and I even. It's about casting agent and spokesperson and the relationship between the two. Not her and I relationship, not about some status power hierarchy. It's casting agent, spokesperson, relationship. What do they need to expect from each other? I find that that story really remarkable and illustrative because even as a CEO, that's what I wanted. I didn't want people deferring all their power to me, right? I want them owning their role, leading their role, telling me what they need of me to do their role. I'm not giving up my power as a CEO. I'm increasing the power throughout the whole system. Thanks, Brian. When people go through our programs, they always kind of get a surprise at the end, which is like a new way of being, a new space for themselves. When people go through, like there's the whole tumble, roll, get knocked down, figure out, recreate your stories. And then all of a sudden they begin to get it. What way of being shows up for them? That's common for you, for everybody else that kind of goes through this. What is, what, what do they notice? I'm surprised how often people tell me that this has been life-changing for them in their personal relationships and world way outside of work. Um, I had one woman that worked at Zappos came up to me after a few months of doing Holacracy and said, I finally got it. I got what my therapist has been trying to teach me for years and I wasn't understanding. And it was about owning her own tensions, her own power in her personal relationship with her fiance, owning her own stuff and not taking responsibility codependently for her partner's stuff, but also being a good partner and being interdependent instead of codependent. And for her, the lesson was that Holacracy helped get that deeply into her in a way that that even her personal therapy and relationship counseling didn't, right? And I hear things like this all the time. There's something about it that helps people find and own their power without in any way being codependent or violating or stepping on someone else's so that we can all share more power together. And then the, the next step even beyond that that I see, which I find just beautiful, is when we're in an environment that doesn't have these boss subordinate parent-child power dynamics where we can all be powerful adults together, peer-to-peer, adult-to-adult together. It creates room by removing all the politics and all the weird, messy dynamics. It creates room for us to be more connected as humans. There is more love in the workplace on the other side of this, right? And I capture that actually part of my personal purpose is to love those who are bringing more love into the world. It's part of what I do. And uh, another piece of my purpose that relates to this, I capture as my mission I'm trying to achieve. My mission is to forge a reality where love is empowered and power is love. And I think for me, that's, that's the deepest thing on the other side of this. I work with people every day that I tell them I love them and it's normal, just like I might in a family, right? And, and it's, it's not, that's so unusual in the business world. And, and that's so sad to me. Right? If we're going to spend this much of our time and this much connection, why not show up open-hearted and loving and find what it is in somebody else that we can fall in love with? 
right? I think holacracy removes all the stuff that's in the way of that so that we have the opportunity to really find love in our workplace in a totally deeper new way. Thank you, Brian. What is the best way for people to continue their exploration of holacracy? How would they start? Where would they go next? So a great place to start is the website, holacracy.org. People misspell it all the time, especially when they hear it on a podcast. It's H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y.org. H-O-L-A, holacracy.org. There's a lot on there. You'll find overviews and you can dig deeper from there. You'll find a link to my book if you want to, the book's always an option, holacracy. And then ultimately though, if you really want to dive in, because it's a practice, you want to get a feel for it. So I, I recommend people either go to a training, there's either short little intro webinars, at least give you some taste or deeper dive online trainings. You'll find all of them on the website, in all different languages all over the world. That gives you the feel, right? Something that is experiential like that. Or if you're in a company and you're considering it, you can also bring a coach in to give you a little taste of it. We often do these little like one day or two day workshops with a team, just to give them a taste of a new way of organizing and making decisions and solving their issues. And it, it doesn't have to be more than just a simple taste. At least that gives them something. And then they can, from there, decide if they want to go deeper with this or just take some wisdom and ideas from it and go their own, own path, right? So either way, get an experience if you can. Thanks, Brian. Michelle or Joanne, any other questions? No, no just a comment of appreciation and acknowledgement for bringing love into the workplace. It's a little bit of what we do too. And it's, it's just wonderful and, and beautiful. So thank you. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And the passion that you bring to the change this represents, is highly infectious. Uh, I hold a lot of people have a sense that the way things are being done now in business aren't working and they're looking for something else. And, you know, having somebody with a really great story of what something else could be is pretty, is pretty enticing. Yeah. I, I definitely resonate with that. Thank you so much for helping us get our story out there. Thank you, Brian. And for myself, thank you for being a part of what is going to be, what is new in the world and where we're going and letting us be a part of what your story is and helping us to bring it to our network as well. With that, I say thank you. Have a great day and thank you for taking the time today. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.